Hey everyone, welcome back to The Digs. We're back here in the studio on a Thursday. It is August the 25th, I believe. I'm not good with, it is. I look at the bottom of my computer, it's August 25th. I, I'm saying that to start the show because I can't believe it's August 25th. The month of August is over in a week, less than a week. It, it's incredible. It's such a... I catch 22 because you're excited because I am for football season. I just use the word excited. I hate the word excited. It's something I don't usually use in my vocabulary. I don't like being excited. I don't like the term. I just go through life and eventually good things happen or good or bad things happen. You roll with the punches. But we are a week away from September. We College football week zero starts in two days. And it's not a great sked. I'm not going to lie to you. There's West Virginia. There's Northwestern, Nebraska, Vanderbilt, and Hawaii, but in Hawaii, which is a late start, which you got to love. So September is a good month for sports because you get football back. You get college football. It's the stretch run for baseball. The golf season, you have the President's Cup in there, which some people really enjoy. It's not my favorite, uh, although I'll watch it. The you have Labor Day with the CFL, which is always really entertaining. One of my favorite weekends of the year is Labor Day, first weekend of, this, of the college football season, Labor Day CFL games. And you head into the NFL, which starts two weeks today. So we're on the home stretch to get to the NFL start of the season. We'll be releasing more and more content, as I've been saying. And we're just going to do more and more shows because I want to do the NFC North today. But then I, I look, and there's so much content. So much happened overnight. We did this show 24 hours ago, and since then, so much has happened. I want to talk about so much today. I have a big gripe with something in the sports world, if you can believe it. It's probably not hard for you guys to believe that there's something that I really don't care for. And now I now I look at things, and I'm, we're going to talk about the Tour Championship in a bit, which I can't stand the format, and that's what I'm going to get into but there's a really promising story in baseball right now, and I'm sure some of you fans out there would say it's the Blue Jays winning two straight against the Red Sox. That's not it for me. That doesn't impress me. Took extras and a George Springer three hits to beat the woeful Red Sox. Golf clap for you. The Brewers lose their second straight to the Dodgers. Two weeks ago, I told you guys that I thought the Brewers' locker room was going to deteriorate after they traded Josh Hader. They moved pieces at the deadline. Since then, they've only won four games, and they are completely terrible. They lost 13 to 10 to one and 10 to four the last two nights. The Brewers absolutely stink. It's not the fact that the Yankees, who traded Jordan Montgomery, who has the second best ERA since the trade deadline, that's not the great story in baseball right now. Not the Yankees stink, although they're heading in to play the Oakland Athletics for a four-game set. I'm sure they'll sweep them because Oakland, another team that stinks. No. The best story in baseball right now is Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, the 42-year-old veteran designated hitter slash DH, one of the all-time great baseball players and a first ballot Hall of Famer, was a Hall of Famer in his first 10 years in this league before he went to Los Angeles. He's back with the Cardinals, if you didn't know. He's a Cardinal. He's batting 277 this year, 500 slugging. He's got 14 home runs. Incredible stuff. An incredible story. The Cardinals are a compelling team because they have Pujols, who's retiring at the end of the season. They have Adam Wainwright, 
who's one of the best pitchers of his generation, retiring at the end of the year, and Yadier Molina, who is going is retiring at the end of the year and an all-time great catcher. Pujols is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I believe Yadier Molina will get to the Hall of Fame. Wainwright, I'm not certain about baseball writers. It's tough to get into that Hall of Fame. I appreciate that about baseball, and I think that'll be a debate. But he is a great, and he'll be in the Cardinals Ring of Honor. So it's a swan song year for the Cardinals. It's a feel-good season for the Cardinals. And Albert Pujols has 693 home runs. 693. To put that into perspective, in the history of baseball, baseball has been around for a hot minute, played in the 1800s, three men have hit 700 home runs. Those men are Babe Ruth, Hall of Famer, the really the he set baseball he set the table for baseball he made the sport popular he made it america's favorite pastime he made the yankees relevant which started the yankees dynasties for years and years the yankees wouldn't be the yankees without babe ruth he created the brand not the other way around number two hank aaron another trailblazer in the sport an african-american who, like Jackie Robinson, came in without having the right to play baseball because of the color of his skin, but then dominated the sport, was a batting multiple-time batting champion, could hit home runs, and is widely regarded maybe as the greatest player to ever play the sport. If you're out there over the age of 60, and if I'm wrong, let me know. I've only heard that from multiple people, including my grandfather before he passed away. Then there's Barry Bonds, who is a... A figurehead, that's for sure. He's he's Barry Bonds, the son of Bobby Bonds, the face of steroids. You know, Barry Bonds, the great player who, unlike the other two, didn't win a World Series. The former pitch, uh, the batting coach for the Miami Marlins. I mean, w- why not Barry Bonds? To me, and that's the list. Three guys have hit 700 home runs. Those three. To me, there are two guys that legitimately hit 700 home runs. Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron. Barry Bonds is a drug cheat. He's a cheater of the sport, and he's not. And he's unlike the other two. He's not in the Hall of Fame because he's not worth being in the Hall of Fame because he cheated the sport. So two guys in my brain have hit 700 home runs. Albert Pujols, who has a month and change left in this season, he may play in the in the postseason. Although those don't count for home runs, he is seven homers away from hitting 700. It is crazy that he's having this season at 42. It's crazy that anyone is hitting 700 home runs. Just to put this into perspective, you hit you hit 70 home runs for 10 years, you can get to 700. Sorry, for 20, for 10 years. Yeah, you hit 50 for 20, you'll get into the you'll get to 700. That's how long it takes. You're not going to do that year over year over year. You need to continuously be great. And that just doesn't happen. If anybody's, well, Juan Carlos Stanton is going to get, no, he's not. He's hurt all the time. Aaron Judge, who's going to hit 50 home runs this year. Great. These guys did it all the time. 50 home runs. Okay. It's a flash in the pan is what it is. These these up-and-coming guys. It's never going to happen again. Miguel Cabrera, who is a, Two-time Triple Crown winner is not going to hit 700 home runs. He might have 600 doubles, 
He might have 3,000 hits. He's not going to get in the 700 home run club. It's a very prestigious group. Two of the guys are currently deceased. It's sad, but it's true. And really, the only two members of the 700 club are dead because Barry Bonds is out in Alcatraz doing his own thing, sticking needles in his ass. So, Albert Pujols is seven dingers away from 700. This is what baseball is craving for. The last month, attendance is down 40% from last season. 40%. Last summer, we were still dealing with COVID guidelines and COVID this and COVID that. There's none of that now. Wear a mask. You want to wear a mask? Get your fifth or sixth booster if you want it. Otherwise, shut the hell up and go to the ball game. That's where we are in life right now. And attendance is down by 40% in Major League Baseball. What else are you going to watch? U.S. Open isn't on yet. It's on next week in Flushing Meadows. Believe me, I'll be watching that and not fucking baseball. But Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, the great commissioner, eh, debatable, he's sitting here today, and he's looking around baseball. He's looking at his tennis numbers, and they stink. He's looking at the Yankees, and he goes, oh, they're not going to get to the World Series because they never do. And they'll choke because the Astros are better. Maybe even the Cleveland Guardians. My Guardians will beat them. Jose Ramirez, another two dingers last night, beat the sorry Padres for the second straight night. Padres might not even make the playoffs. Good God. Thank God for the Brewers. They stink. They can't catch them. Another story for another day. But he's sitting at his desk with his Tim Hill and his other people that work for him. And they're like, Rob, it's, it's, Rob, it's, it's, it's terrible right now. What, what's happening in baseball? Attendance is down. Tatis isn't going to play a game this year. Oh, my God. The Padres might not make the playoffs. Oh, God. The Orioles are still winning games. Jesus, Jesus, no. But what? Oh, what, 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 what can we sell? What can we sell? Well, the Jays are winning. Ah, nobody cares. They're in Canada. True. Well, no, we already, we already said the Yankees. We can't talk. Oh, right. No, we can't talk about the Yankees. God. Well, the Astros, well, yeah, but the, didn't they cheat a couple years ago? Yeah, we can't really wrap our arms around the Astros. Well, we do like Jordan Alvarez. He wasn't on the team with no cheating yet, but Bregman's still there. Altuve, right. Okay, shit, we can't even – we can't talk about them. How about the Nationals? Well, Dodge, yeah, okay. No, we got the Dodgers. We're happy about them. But, oh, wait, Walker Bueller's out for the season. We'll talk about that in a minute. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, we can't – do we have faith they're going to make it? The Mets, okay, well, Steve Cohen, we like Steve Cohen. But, hey, no, no. Rob, we got it. Before the postseason, what can we sell? What can we tell people? This is what you're going to watch. The St. Louis Cardinals. Wait, what? Because of Albert Pujols chasing 700 home runs. Hallelujah. That's exactly what baseball is thinking right now. They had nothing. Nothing. They had Manoa and Garrett Cole for a hot minute, but again, nobody cares about the Blue Jays. I'm sorry, everybody, but they don't. Do we care about Jordan Montgomery? No, we don't care about Jordan Montgomery. It's a good story. We don't care about the Brewers. They stink. But Albert Pujols, he's one of the all-time great players. Absolutely. 700 home runs. Could you imagine? I'm Rob Manfred. While commissioner can see a player hit 700 home runs. Three guys in the history of the sport have done it. Sure, Albert Pujols could join that list. 
I don't know how religious Rob Manfred is. I don't know how religious the people in baseball are. Maybe they're like me, cynical and atheist. Maybe. Be nice. Another one join the club. But to me, they're on their knees every night now, and they're watching every Cardinals game, including them watching the Cubs this afternoon at Wrigley Field, and praying that Albert Pujols hits seven more dingers before the end of this baseball season. And why do you ask? Because they need it. They need that moment. However, they do not want that day to come on a Sunday or a Monday night. Because guess what? Albert Pujols got his 700th home run, and it's on a Sunday afternoon about 3.30 p.m. Nobody will be watching. But what they need is him to do it in about a Wednesday. That'd be perfect. Maybe get that game on ESPN. They got rid of Wednesday Night Baseball. Maybe you flex it in. Hey, hey, Carl Ravitch. Hey, David Cohn. Eduardo Perez, could you come do a baseball game tonight? We got Cards Brewers here at Bush Stadium. Can you come in and, and do the game? Oh, yeah. If you, why? Oh, no, it's no, no big, no, no reason. Just Pujols is sitting on uh, six ninety nine, and uh, you know maybe it'll happen national TV, and we can boost it out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We'll, we'll be there. That's what's happening. Baseball is praying, praying that Pujols can hit seven more home runs. But we have a watch now. You remember that summer in 1999? I was one. Not even one yet. No, I wasn't even one. I was zero. I was a month away from being one years old. Two weeks away from being two weeks away. And it was the Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds battle. For home runs. The steroid era, the battle, it kept it got people entertained for all the wrong reasons. But there it it brought excitement to the sport. To me, I expect attendance to go up in baseball over the next couple weeks. At Cardinals games. Not in baseball, in Cardinals games. When the Cardinals are on the road, I expect attendance to go up. Because people want to see Albert Pujols one more time. But they also want to see him make history. They also want to see him do what only three other men have done, two legally. Albert Pujols is one of the all-time greats. I want him to get to this mark. The Cardinals are up 3-0 on the Cubs as we speak. I have not checked if he's hit a home run yet today. I will do it with you guys right now live. Because he's what he's doing is incredible. Batting 277 at 42. They're all retiring. He has not hit a home run today. He is not in the lineup, which is surprising. He wasn't in the lineup last night either, so he's going to get limited opportunities, although I do think he'll be pinch hitting a ton over the next couple weeks. I think he'll be pinch hitting today because they'll grab a lead over the Cubs, and they'll get the win today. But baseball needs a win. They need something. The White Sox have been one of the most disappointing teams in all of baseball. The Mariners are a good story, but nobody cares about the Mariners. The Rays are starting to win. Okay, Again, nobody cares about the Blue Jays. People don't want to hear that, but it's absolutely the truth. Bryce Harper hit a dinger in AAA last night. Maybe people can wrap your arms around that. The Mets pitching staff... But they need a win.
Albert Pujols can provide something to baseball that they haven't had since Barry Barnes, the 700 home run hitter. And what we might witness over the next month is something we'll never see again. I said that at the beginning. I'm not being hyperbolic. I'm not being facetious. I'm being absolutely stoic. I'm absolutely right. I'm not kidding. I don't think we'll ever hit see somebody hit 700 home runs again because people are sitting out too many games, people are injured more often, and it's too damn difficult. It just is. Bodies break down. People are retiring earlier. They got home runs. Legacy and accomplishing those feats aren't as important anymore. LeBron's scoring title. He's going to eclipse that next season. Will we see that again? Unlikely. The, the uh, assist record, Ovechkin catching, catching Gretzky, it just isn't going to happen. It doesn't happen all the time. You need to appreciate when they happen. Today's episode of the podcast is titled Albert because Albert Pools has a chance to do something that I believe no one will ever do again. It's incredible that he's doing it now. Over 20 years since Barry Bonds did it. Hank Aaron hasn't played baseball in 50 years. He's been dead for 10 Babe Ruth's been in the ground for a long time. And yet, Albert Pujols can join that prestigious club. Pretty incredible stuff. I mentioned some baseball stories off the top, downplaying them. They are interesting. Fernando Tatis Jr. admits to using steroids, admits his faults, saying he's got to grow up. Here, here. Move past that. Yankees. Sweep the Mets. Way to go to the Bronx Bombers. Aaron Judge back-to-back nights with a dinger. Don't know why they're pitching to him. Stanton's not playing, but nevertheless. Yankees are now have a four-game set with the Oakland Athletics, as I mentioned. Oakland stinks. Yankees should sweep this series. Anything 3-4, anything that's not 3-4 in this series is an absolute disappointment. I said this in the last couple weeks. said it before I went on my trip. The Yankees aren't making it to the World Series. Predictions on this show, we revisit them if I'm right. We revisit them as I'm wrong. if I'm wrong. I'm starting to make a list of all my pre- uh, predictions. Another one of my predictions. The San Diego Padres will not win a series, will not make it past the divisional round. I feel more and more confident with that. If only the Brewers could get a win, they might not even make the playoffs. What an embarrassing story that would be. You go get, you go get uh, Juan Soto, the next great player, and they miss the postseason. We'll see what the Brewers can do. That's, an, that's another prediction that I have. I, I just don't see. My, my Seattle has got the Guardians for four this weekend. Big series. Seattle struggling currently. They're falling behind the Rays. They're falling behind the Blue Jays who are beating up on the sorry Red Sox and the sorry Angels. Rays looking for a four-game sweep of the Angels today. Blue Jays looking to sweep the Red Sox in, at Fenway Park. The Blue Jays play the Angels this weekend. So, again, they get to feast on bad teams. But in the wild card right now, Seattle is a two-and-a-half game lead on Baltimore. Baltimore's got the White Sox for their final game of that series tonight. Don't count out the Orioles. They continue to play good baseball. They're still a consistently good club. So, it, it there's some interesting stories in baseball to follow. I mentioned Jordan Montgomery. He's got a 0.47 ERA in his last five starts. Those five starts were since the... New York Yankees dealt him to 
St. Louis, where they acquired Harrison, call me later, Bader, who has been absolutely brutal for the Yankees, doesn't even play, while Montgomery's been a stud of studs. Oh, the Yankees. Retired Paul O'Neill's number over the weekend, who, I don't know, Paul O'Neill retire his number? The Yankees retire everybody's numbers. But Paul O'Neill, he's a good player. He's on a Seinfeld episode. I remember him for the Seinfeld episode more than I remember his play. Couldn't couldn't even go in the broadcast booth because he's not vaccinated. So that <laughs> another twist of fate there. So that that was what I mean the Yankees booing Cashman, booing Boone, starting pitching woes. Oh, it's just the Yankees. Do they even get to the American League Championship Series? I have my doubts. They're not going to beat the Astros. tell you that. I think the Jays are a better team than the New York Yankees. Said at the beginning of the year, one prediction, I'll, I was wrong. I said the Yankees are going to miss the playoffs. They're not. They're going to win their division. Kudos to them. They're not going to have top seed. The Guardians continue to win games. My Guardians. We'll see what they can do in the postseason. They only got 66 wins. But they're, they're a damn good baseball team, and Jose Ramirez has 23 home runs and over 100 RBIs yet again. One of the most consistent hitters in all of baseball. My new favorite player, I decided over my trip, since Tatis used steroids, he's gone, welcoming in to my favorite player station in baseball, Jose Ramirez. We'll talk about the Manoa-Otani battle tomorrow, because that's going to be a start this weekend, Saturday afternoon, that's appointment viewing television. But baseball, you know, it's it's you're kind of getting through it right now. You're hoping for some interesting things happening. Tonight you got Twins Astros. Interesting Twins need to win some games in that series. Phillies continue to win games. Braves are red hot. Only two games back of the Mets. It's actually interesting to me. Can the Mets hold off the Atlanta Braves? Could the Braves repeat? Absolutely. So, good for baseball. They got some interesting stories. We'll see what happens as we move forward. To the NBA. The National Basketball Association is in a dead zone, if you will. They are in a they're in a mode where training camps only start at the end of September. And you're kind of waiting to get there. Everybody that's been signed has been signed. Kevin Durant is going back to Brooklyn. So you're kind of... But again, we revisit things when I'm right. We revisit things when I'm wrong. I said the second it started, when Kevin Durant told the Brooklyn Nets that he was not going to be returning and requested a trade, I said on this very fine program that Kevin Durant would be going nowhere. Kevin Durant would be a Brooklyn Net. And... Wow, I was right. Joe Sy and Kevin Durant and Sean Marks, the general manager, Steve Nash, all got together in beautiful Los Angeles, California, and somehow worked out their differences. Sat down and said, you know what? Hey, we just want to see if we can run it back for one more year. Kyrie Irving's going to stay. We're going to keep him. Ben Simmons is turning from his year hiatus. Maybe he's ready to play basketball physically, psychologically. He's got the video game habit out of his system. Who knows? We're going to have him come back, stop, him stop wearing his stupid outfits courtside, and we're going to have a damn good basketball team. Sounds like a plan. Who could have seen that coming? 
Kevin Durant was never going to get traded. His, his claims, his demeanor, his Twitter attitude was just a farce. It was a nothing burger. It, it had no con. It had no volition, and it had no nothing. It was just. It was nothing. Kevin Durant was going back to Brooklyn. Period. He is one of the best players in the NBA. He is one of the greatest scorers in the history of the sport. He is a Hall of Famer, a two-time champion. But the Nets have him under contract for four more seasons. Why the hell would you trade one of the best players in the sport when you have him under contract for four more years? You wouldn't. Not to mention there weren't that many great landing spots for Kevin Durant. Miami couldn't do it. The Raptors weren't going to pull the trigger on Scotty Barnes. The Warrior, I, I don't think Kevin Durant wanted to go back to the Warriors. Just spite alone and his ego. So the Nets were the option. And the crazy thing is, he wanted to leave Brooklyn. He was upset about his situation. He might have been upset with Kyrie Irving with the pain in the ass he's been to him over the last couple of years, which I completely understand. But he goes back to Brooklyn, and he's now sitting in a position where he is in a great spot, in a great place to win a championship this season. The Brooklyn Nets, to me, are the second best team in the Eastern Conference on paper. Things change. Things happen. But I look around, and to me, the Boston Celtics are still the best team. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They only got better. The nucleus of, Kev of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown alongside the newly uh, acquired Malcolm Brogdon, who can be a ball handler, who can be a floor distributor, and be that guy in games last year where they didn't have a ball guy. Marcus Smart is not a point guard. He's not a distributor. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both turned the ball over like crazy. It was the reason they lost. It wasn't because Jason Tatum grabbed his shoulder every game, whatever kind of injury he had. It was because they couldn't distribute the ball. It's because they were turnover machines. I think that will decrease with the, with the acquisition of Malcolm Brogdon. They get Danilo Gallinari. They can bring him off the bench. I like the Celtics a lot. They are the FanDuel favorite to win the championship today. They were the favorite to win the title this upcoming season without Kevin Durant. So, And I, I happen to agree with FanDuel on that number. So, point Celtics. But I look at the Nets, I compare them to the 76ers. Sixers are a good squad. They are. They still have Joel Embiid, the best big in all basketball. I don't care that Jokic just went back-to-back -back MVPs. Joel Embiid is just a better player. They brought in Danell House. They brought in some reserves. They added P.J. Tucker. They got some good shooters, Thibel. But the Sixers with James Harden, who knows how he's going to come into camp, who knows how motivated he's going to be, he gave up money to return. I don't think their team's that much better. I don't fear them that much. Tyrese Maxey's the biggest X factor. He's got a high ceiling. He's a fun player to watch. But I still would elevate the Nets over the Sixers at this point. The Raptors, no. The Raptors are not at that level. They don't have any player that is that are Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Those two players are better than any player on the Raptors roster. Kyrie Irving's better than Scotty Barnes. Kyrie Irving's better than Pascal Siakam. He is a pain in the ass. 
who might only be there 50% of the time, but the guy's got one of the deadliest handles in the history of basketball, and he made one of the clutchest shots in basketball history as well in the final 30 seconds of the 2016 NBA Finals to seal that championship for him and Bron Bron. So, and then I could go through it. I mean, there's more teams, the Hawks, even the Heat. Could, they bring back a similar squad. They bring back UD, who agreed to come back. You have Bam out of Bayou. Hopefully, you got a more fit Kyle Lowry. You have uh, you have guys like uh, I'm trying. Uh, what the hell's his name? Name split in my mind. Two white guards that that shoot well, but again, don't defend whatsoever. Tyler Hero. I'm sorry. Name for getting my mind. I just remember Tyler Hero this offseason for that brutal tattoo that he got in his chest. Duncan Robinson, the other shooting guard. So the Heat lost P.J. Tucker. To me, they're a worse team than they were last year. And so the Nets lost to the Celtics in the first round last year because they didn't have Kyrie Irving for basically the whole year. Kevin Durant missed 40 games. They had some, and Joe Harris missed the entire season as well. They had some bad luck. The Nets are still chasing the Celtics. They're still chasing the Celtics when it comes to being relevant and playing that elite style of basketball. But they're in a good position with Kevin Durant to win a title this upcoming season to compete to get to that Eastern Conference Final. Because out West, the Warriors are still the Warriors, but do they have enough in the tank? Again, they're an older team. Can they do it? Utah completely blew it up. They've been a playoff team the last number of years. If Denver can be healthy, that's a big if. Jamal Murray, if Michael Porter Jr., if these guys, if Aaron Gordon, if these guys can be healthy, Denver can be a threat to make it to the Eastern to the Western Conference Finals in the in the uh, in, in in the Western Conference. But I'm not certain that they can do it because I don't trust them with their health. They're always injured. They always have something go wrong in Denver. Michael Malone seems to make bad coaching decisions. So again, I don't trust the foundation there. So the Nets are in a good spot after all this turmoil, after months of pontificating and and these shows in in the U.S. talking about where's Kevin Durant going to go day after day. And I just stopped listening to some shows because I just don't care. I knew where he was going. He was going back to the Nets. And once again, Noah's right. And I get no better pleasure in life than being correct. Sad state. It's a sad thing to admit. But it's the truth, so I'll tell all of you and not go see anybody for it. But, hey. One team in the NBA that I expected to be interesting, one team in the NBA I expected to watch a lot of this year, because as you guys know, in the NHL, in every sport, I pick a team that that stink, that aren't interesting, but I watch them because why not? Nobody else is. Last year in the NHL, it was the New Jersey Devils. I keep track of games I watch because that's just something I do. Last year, I watched 57, at least parts of 57 different New Jersey Devils games. That is not something I wanted to admit, but I did because it's this is our show and I want to talk to all of you about it. I watched parts of 57 different New Jersey Devils games last year. I watched more New Jersey Devils hockey than any other team. I know. I know. I haven't picked a team for this year yet. You know how this works if you listen to me? If you have a team that you want to submit, please, I want to hear it. And I truly mean this. Maybe I'll do a contest. Maybe I'll do a poll. 
but I want to hear from all of you with the team that I should watch. But th this is the criteria. The team has to be bad. It can't be a team that maybe they're better than people thought. And you can go through the season. They have a better season. But as of right now, they can't have high expectations. I can't have a top. I can't have a real superstar player that's overly exuberant or, or so in the news. I can't have a top five pick because that's cliche. People will be watching that team. So it's not going to be Montreal. It's not can't be Seattle. Shane Wright's too big of a whiner. So not Seattle, not Montreal, but a team that I need to watch. Not Columbus either because they got Goudreau and they got a number of big guys. But I need a team to jump on this year to watch games that – they're just not a very good team on paper, and they they don't bring a lot to the table nationally, but no one's going to watch their games, and you'll hear about them from me on this podcast. So if you have a team that you want to submit to me, do it in the comments of this podcast. Send me a DM, however you want to do it. You might have my text. Send me a text. If you have a team like that, please let me know because I want to hear about it. But in the NBA, the team that I was excited to watch this year was the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the reason was was because they selected Chet Holmgren, the seven foot two, seven foot three inch center out of Gonzaga with the second pick overall. He's one of the most interesting draft prospects in a long time because he's just he's a lanky, extremely skinny guy who shoots three pointers and can block shots like crazy. But we got news yesterday. So we got news this morning. It was breaking news that Chet had suffered a Liz Frank injury, which is a foot injury. We've seen multi uh, Nathan Rourke of the CFL suffered this injury. He's out for a long time. This is a serious injury, and it can it literally has ended careers. Well, Chet has this Liz Frank injury, and he's going to miss his entire rookie season. He's out for the entire year. This is this is a body blow. To the NBA for me because it made Oklahoma City interesting. They had Lou Dort. They have um, they have the great Canadian guard down there. So it's it, it's it's honestly disappointing for me that Chet Holmgren. I was so excited to watch him. It's a, it was a really good rookie class in this last year's draft. Orlando is going to get obviously uh, they're going to get the great Paolo Bancaro. You have Jabari Smith. Going, you you got my guy in Detroit. So there's there's a lot of great rookies, a lot of great rookies. And now, but Chet was the most compelling to me because he was just, it's just his body type. How is he going to match up? How are centers going to play him? Are they going to be physical with him? And he had his ups and downs in, in summer league. So Oklahoma City, it's got to be a very disappointing day for them. They lose their spotlight guy. They lose really the only reason for, for people to go watch this team. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be that relevant. So I can't imagine what it's like in Oklahoma City. But the biggest concern about Chet Holmgren before the draft was his health. You thought about, well, can he hold up physically because he's so skinny. But now he hasn't even played a, a game in the NBA. He hasn't played a minute. The whistle hasn't been blown yet. And he hasn't lasted. He's already injured out with a serious injury. This does not bode well for Chet Holmgren. I don't think this is going to be well received. The Thunder have got to be devastated with this. They got to be pissed. I think he hurt. He hurt himself training. 
So again, that's also a worry that he just hurts himself training. It's not something overly physical. So for for these for the OKC Thunder, they need to really figure out what's going on. And I would just worry about this guy long term that he can't play a game without getting injured. That he can't get through an off season of workouts without getting a Liz Frank injury. I get it. it. It can happen to anybody. It's bad luck more than anything. But it ultimately, it fuels a narrative that he's a, he's a guy that's a, a great prospect that has all the talent in the world, has some great aspiration, but he can't hold up. And unfortunately, it could be true. It, it might just be – it could be irrelevant. But that's the narrative right now, and if anybody believes in that narrative, then that's what that's what's going to be talked about. That's what's going to be said. And I think for the NBA, they are not happy with this because people are looking forward to watch Chet. Watch Jabari Smith and Houston go up against Chet, play each other a number of times a year when OKC played Houston. Watch watch uh, Paolo Bancaro when he went and played him when, he, when he's when he's with Orlando. So it, it's it's a tough tough injury for sure. I still think the NBA rookie class is going to be really interesting this year. But I will say the flash of it has been taken off because of Chet. To me, he was going to come into the NBA this year and face some criticism, face some kind of physical play that we haven't seen since Lonzo Ball. If you remember when Lonzo Ball was drafted, his dad said he was going to be the, an all-time great player. His number was going to be hung up at, at uh, Staples Center. And that first game of his career, Patrick Beverly made his life a living hell. He guarded him like hell. He got in his face, got in his grill, and Lonzo learned right away what it was like to be in the NBA. He guarded him full court. I think some centers wanted to take it to Chet, wanted to show him that, hey, you think you're this good? Okay, you can shoot threes. You can do all this. Come try to guard me in the paint. I'm going to make your life hell, and I'm going to really posterize you night after night after night and make you earn it. Unfortunately, we're not going to get that. I hope he can come back healthy and we get to see Chet in a, a year from now. Next year's rookie class is going to be with Chet Holmgren because he hasn't played a game yet. Sam Presti and Oklahoma City Thunder have to be worried. The, the brass in Oklahoma City have to be worrying for tickets, for things of that nature, for nationally televised games. Because you, you're not going to be on them without Shea Gillius-Alexander, a Canadian, he's a great basketball player. But he doesn't put you on television. He's been around for a long time. Teams would love to have him. Chad Holmgren would give you some nationally televised games. And I think OKC would have got tele- nationally televised games, not just against LeBron, not just because you're playing the Lakers, but because you're, you got Chad Holmgren and you have something to watch, something interesting to follow at the very least. So disappointing news for me and dis- disappointing news, I'm sure, for the Oklahoma City Thunder. We also got a trade last night in the NBA. Where Patrick Beverly, who's been around this the NBA time and a half, he's played for the Clippers. He's played for the, the he played was just with Utah. He's been with Minnesota, Memphis. He's been everywhere. Pat Bev. He got traded from the Minnesota Timberwolves to the Utah Jazz in the Rudy Gobert trade earlier this offseason. And he said, you know, going into next season. He was going to be in Utah, even tweeted about getting another team to the playoffs, the rebuilding Jazz. But Danny Ainge and Rob Palenka pulled off a deal last night where Patrick Beverly 
was shipped to the Los Angeles Lakers for Talon, Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. THT was a guy that was, just a few years ago, untradeable. LeBron loved him. He had all the talent in the world until last season, which was the Lakers' nightmare season where Horton Tucker was irrelevant. His shot, he went, his, his uh, shooting percentage decreased by 9%. His guarding wasn't great. He, couldn't, he didn't even start games, and it was a disaster. Stanley Johnson got minutes because of injuries, things of that nature. He's a more of a defensive guy, doesn't have a great shot, doesn't bring a whole lot to the table. What this, what this move does is frees up cap room for the Lakers going into next season. There's still rumors out there that they want to try to acquire Kyrie Irving. I don't see that happening now that Kevin Durant is returning. I don't see that Kevin Durant going back to Brooklyn and him accepting that he'll be playing with Russell Westbrook again. He did that for eight years at Oklahoma City, and I don't think he enjoyed many of those years. So I think the Lakers are going into next year. They're going to have Russell Westbrook on the roster. They're going to have Anthony Davis on the roster. They're going to have LeBron James on the roster. You can go through the team. It's still old. It's not as old as it was the year before. Dwight Howard's gone. Carmelo Anthony's gone. But it's still an old roster. Patrick Beverly is 34 years old. This trade is not a, a sizable trade when it comes to making the Lakers more of a threat to win next year. I think the Lakers are under a lot of pressure to be competitive next year. To me, if they make the playoffs, it's an achievement. They're not a great team. They need Anthony Davis to come back and be an all-star type player to be in the mix, to at least be relevant next year, which, again, he can be, but it's it's more likely he's going to be street clothes and he's going to be Anthony Davis, the great superstar player. He's injured all the time. He's got something wrong with him. He's, he can't physically hold up. And that's what we've come to know about Anthony Davis. Not that he's a former great player, was a, was a national champion at, at Kentucky, a, a bubble champion with the Lakers. It's that he's constantly injured and he doesn't have the motor. He doesn't have the skill set of a Giannis Antetokounmpo or Joel Embiid. Those two guys want to win more than Anthony Davis, in my humble opinion. Those two guys work a hell of a lot harder than Anthony, than Anthony Davis. He's a guy that has a ton of talent, is a freak of nature because of his size and the way he plays, and believes that he, he just thinks he can go through life not working that hard to get some success. It's worked for him to this, at this, to this point, but now he's being asked to be the man. He's being asked to carry the load with LeBron James, 37 years old, an old man who's starting to break down as well. He's been injured the past two seasons. He's not what he used to be, and really, Anthony Davis hasn't been able to even hold a candle. He hasn't been able to hold up LeBron's finger. LeBron at 37 is still the, the guy on that team. He's still the best player, and Anthony Davis has really hid in the background, tried to not even be around the team so that he can try to hide from ridicule or from speculation about his future. There were talks about the Lakers trying to acquire Kevin Durant this offseason and Anthony Davis being involved in trade talks. To me, that's not a good trade for Brooklyn. I mentioned this at the time because Anthony Davis, although you know being a great player, is street clothes. That's just what he is right now. He's not a guy that has a high, va high trade value to me because he's not reliable and he doesn't work that hard. So the Lakers will, will be interesting this year. They'll be relevant. They'll be talked about because any team that LeBron James is on will be talked about more than, they're, than they should be. He, he's on a team. Anthony Davis will be looked at. He'll be scrutinized. Pat, Patrick Beverly just 
makes them more interesting, gives them more talking points. Because he's a defender, he's a small guy, and the fact that he has not gotten along well with Russell Westbrook since they've gotten into the league. They've scuffed in the past. They've got technical fouls with one another. And to me, this is not going to be a great relationship. Patrick Beverly is going to want to start for the Lakers. He's not going to, but he's going to want to start. Although he should, and Russell Westbrook should come off the bench, like I said at the beginning of last year, but I doubt that will happen. Patrick Beverly will want to start. I think he'll be extremely tough on Russell Westbrook. Patrick Beverly is a guy that pushes a lot of buttons. He'll push his teammates' buttons. He'll push the buttons of the opponent, and eventually they'll get pissed off, but ultimately they get the better of Patrick Beverly because he's an undersized guard. He can't shoot a lick, and his defense is only good for a certain point. He's on a team every other year because they can only take so much of Patrick Beverly. To me, he'll be a great analyst when he's done playing because he's got a lot to say. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and he doesn't care who he calls out. He calls out Steph Curry. He calls out Kawhi Leonard. He'll call out guys on any team if he, see, if he feels fit about it. He just goes on television and says, this guy sucks. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a bum. To me, you know, he's called out John Morant. He's called out Steph Curry. He's called out the, the Warriors before for how they've done business. He'll be a great analyst. He'll work for ESPN. He'll work with Stephen A. Smith, and they'll have a great time together when he's done playing professional basketball. But for the Lakers, it doesn't make them that much better. It really doesn't. They still have a ton of problems. Russell Westbrook still can't shoot a lick. Russell Westbrook is still believes that he's one of the best players in the NBA. He's not. They still have an Anthony Davis who's injured all the time, as I just mentioned, for five minutes. They have an old man in LeBron James. They don't have great depth. Does that sound like a team that's ready to win a championship? Does that sound like a team that's ready to beat the Denver Nuggets even without some of their best players? Like a team that's ready to beat Golden State? Like a team that's ready to beat Memphis? Beat Minnesota, for that matter? No. The Lakers are not that interesting to me. They'll be on national TV all the time. They're not that compelling. Memphis is compelling to me. I like John Morant. I like the new Desmond Bain. I like the nucleus of that team. Memphis is a compelling team because they're going to win games, but they're also fun to watch. The Lakers aren't that fun to watch. It's a bunch of old men that are, that are playing slow basketball. Minnesota is interesting to me because they traded all those pieces away for Rudy Gobert. It's going to be a train wreck. They might make the playoffs, but that's all they'll do. But Anthony Edwards, my favorite player, is on that team. He's a stud. I want to see him play. Golden State is interesting. Um, I go, you know, you can go through a bunch of different teams, and you'll find something compelling about them. The Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic is, and the Dallas Mavericks are more compelling than the Los Angeles Lakers, because Doncic is a better player now than LeBron James is. Doncic lost Jalen Brunson. How's this season going to go for Dallas after getting to a conference final? They didn't really add to the team. I can't say they got better this offseason. What if they have a bad season? What if they don't add anything? What happens then? Does Doncic, is he okay with staying in Dallas when the team isn't getting any better? There's no help around him. He doesn't have a great second piece at, at the guard. I'm interested to see that. So the NBA is 
you know, a month away from training camp. But a lot of these things are being decided. Really, the only with Kevin Durant off the board, the only thing left to be decided to me is Donovan Mitchell. He's still in Utah. I don't expect him to be in Utah when the season starts. I really don't because he they're blowing it up there. Danny Ainge knows it. That every every team in the NBA knows it that the that the Utah Jazz are rebuilding. They're trading off every good player they have. They traded Rudy Gobert. They just traded Patrick Beverly. They acquired 100 draft picks for Rudy Gobert. They're moving things around. Well, Donovan Mitchell's been there forever. I think he's a, still a piece that many teams want. From 3-1, to one, if I had to predict, where Donovan Mitchell ends up before the season. Number three to me is the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Dallas Mavericks need another piece to this team. Two ball-dominant guards is a scary thought, but Donovan Mitchell has been the most dominant player on his team for a number of years, and he hasn't, hasn't been winning, hasn't gotten past the second round. Maybe he can be a number two with Doncic, Doncic, if you will. So I think Dallas could use Donovan Mitchell. They should try to acquire him. I don't think he'll end up there, but I think he should get tired. Number two, the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat made it to the conference final last year, Game 7. Extremely close to advancing to the NBA title. However, there's just something there that's missing. They're missing that superstar. You love Jimmy Butler, but again, he doesn't scream superstar. He doesn't scream alpha male. He doesn't scream a guy that's going to be the best player on a championship team. I'm not sure Donovan Mitchell can be the best player on a championship team, but maybe the Heat are the 0-4 Pistons where they had a bunch of good players, not great ones. Sheed Wallace, Rip Hamilton. Go through that team. Tell me the superstar. There isn't one. Ron Artest. So you have a bunch of really good players. Well, if you pair them with Bam Adebayo, and you got Tyler Hero, you got Duncan Robinson, you got Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, you have a team full of really good guys. You have a bench that you can throw a number of guys at them. You'd have to trade some of your pieces, to me, you're going to lose Struess, who's been extremely good. You're going to lose one of your young guards. Tyler Hero might have to go in the deal. That's fine. You're going to have to pay him eventually more than he's worth. He's a six-man at best. I wouldn't want to start him. So if you have to give up Tyler Hero and put him in Utah to get Donovan Mitchell, I absolutely would do it. Draft picks should not be something that, that Pat Riley cares about because he's trying to win a championship in Miami before he retires. And Spoh's trying to win another title with this nucleus. Udonis Haslam's last season in Miami. Why not try to why not try to leave it with Udonis Haslam winning a fourth ring? Winning one in 06, winning two with LeBron and Dwayne Wade in 2013 and 2012 and 2013, and win one in the farewell 2022-2023 season. So Miami Heat are the number two team to me that that could acquire Donovan Mitchell. Number one are the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are so desperate, as they always are, to be relevant, like the Lakers. They got Jalen Brunson in the offseason. They got R.J. Barrett. They have some pieces. But I still think they're, they're hungry for another guard. They're hungry for another superstar player to add to this mix. Maybe you have to trade Julius Randle. Who cares? Have to trade away picks. They have players that teams would want. They got young guys that you can move in the deal. I wouldn't want to. Tra- I wouldn't trade R.J. Barrett. 
for Donovan Mitchell. Myself, I think R.J. Barrett can be better than Donovan Mitchell eventually. But to me, the Knicks are the most likely place that could acquire Donovan Mitchell. I have the Heat, number two, followed by the Dallas Mavericks. But I do expect Donovan Mitchell to be traded by the time the season starts. Because the Utah Jazz know what know, know what's up. They know they want to lose as many games as possible this year so they can get the number one pick in the draft. That's what they're hoping. They're hoping that they can win the lottery and Danny H can get a bunch of draft picks and maybe flip those draft picks eventually for some really good talent. Or do what he did in Boston where he drafted Jason Tatum, really good draft pick, drafted Jalen Brown, and you build a nucleus through the draft. Maybe it goes that way, He, but by getting the first pick, he has multiple routes to getting to another championship, to getting to getting Utah back to relevancy. But to get back to relevancy, they need to be irrelevant for a while. I don't blame them for tearing it down. This core was never going to win a title. The fact that he got all those pieces for Rudy Gobert, he deserves a medal. Trade a statue and you get all of that in return, you deserve something. He did good things in Boston. He's been labeled as a failure on the way out, which really wasn't fair. He should have been fired. But the way that he was on the way out, they said he wasn't a good GM. He wasn't all this. You wouldn't have won a title without him. He made one of the best trades in fan, fan, uh, franchise history, trading old man Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Rajon Rondo to Brooklyn. The biggest One of the biggest fleece jobs in the history of pro sports was trading the big three Celtics the big three Celtics, who only won one title, who have been, you talk about getting overhyped. The big three Celtics are overhyped because the Celtics get overhyped for being this great franchise. Well, the big three only won one title. Kevin Garnett only won one in his career, as did Paul Pierce. He traded all three old men to Brooklyn, and he, fl- and he turned that into a viable team that's been relevant when it comes to winning for the last decade. He deserves credit for that. He deserves credit for that. Donovan Mitchell, last chip to fall, I think. I don't expect Kyrie Irving to be traded in the next couple weeks. If he does, that'll be a big surprise to me. Nobody's taking Russell Westbrook. If the Lakers could somehow trade him before the start of the year to the Indiana Indiana Pacers, maybe, but I doubt it. Rob Palenka should get an extension on the spot because nobody wants Russell Westbrook, and the Lakers are unwilling to trade away their draft picks. How... I didn't get to mention this, but I will, though. If the Lakers are unwilling to trade their 2027-2029 first-round pick, they should be willing now. And the reason I say that is because LeBron James has signed on for another two seasons with the team. LeBron James is going to be there for a while. He's playing basketball for a number of years. You should be willing to trade those picks because you want to win. You have LeBron in your team. That should be the focus. I understand not trading away those draft picks thinking LeBron's going to leave. I thought LeBron was going to leave. He re-signed while I was on vacation in Edmonton. Surprised me. Really did. I didn't expect that. But looking at the situation now, he's staying for a number of years. People are still drawn to him. If Anthony Davis flames out, players will still want to be around LeBron James because it's LeBron James. Just point blank. So, I trade away those first-round picks to try to win because what are you waiting for? You have one of the best players in the history of the NBA on your team. 
if you can trade, if you have to move those first round picks in order to get rid of Russell Westbrook, do it. Do whatever you can to get rid of Russell Westbrook because the guy is nothing but a cancer. That's it. Oh, good NBA chat today. A lot, lot happening in in the NBA uh, just overnight, which was surprising. But a lot of interesting things. I'm looking forward to the NBA season. That's a, about a month away, training camps and whatnot. And we're kind of in this – I said we're in a low with the NBA. We're in the same mode with the NHL right now where all the big news, all the big – all the, the large work has been done. Nazem Kadri is in Calgary. Johnny Goudreau is in Columbus. You go through the league. All the big free agents are done. All the trades are done. The last maybe chip to fall is Patrick Kane, although I think that'll happen midseason. So you're waiting on veterans. Sonny Milano is still out there. You, you look. I, I look at some of the young players that still don't have contracts, and I'm like, P.K. Subban is waiting likely for a PTO. And I'm thinking, well, are there going to be a few veterans that get a contract before the end of the year? And in the last 48 hours, two guys have the same deal. Paul Stastny, the 36-year-old veteran, 1,000 games in the NHL, really solid player, signed a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the Carolina Hurricanes. Stastny joins Carolina, which has quickly become the retirement team with Brent Burns, Stastny, They've gotten rid of all their great players. They're now old and I think worse than they, than they were last year. Frederick Anderson's still there. I've hated the way Columbus has approached this offseason. I, I normally love what they're doing. I think Columbus has gotten significantly worse. I don't know what the hell they're doing there. But uh, Carolina, sorry, I said Columbus. Columbus is always doing stupid crap. Uh, Carolina's gotten worse. And now Paul Stastny is still a good player, but again, he's an older guy. He's 36. Brent Burns is 38. Uh, 38. What? Tony D'Angelo's gone, Oyve. And then last night, in the bigger news, was Phil Kessel signed a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uncle Phil had 51 points last year. Solid, solid season for Uncle Phil. Played all 82 games, because that's what he does. And I think this is a good signing for Phil Kessel, and it's a good signing for Vegas. Phil Kessel will play every game. You know that. He's not going to give maximum effort you know that going in but he's also a guy that doesn't need to be told his role he will fit in on teams he was an alpha male in Toronto and in some extent in Boston he was the go-to forward he was asked to be the guy that didn't work for him he was traded to Pittsburgh and he was said you can can you just go on this triple H just go on the line with Haglin and be just a great checking forward, play a solid, solid role, the HBK line, and could you make that work? Well, he did it so well that he won two Stanley Cups playing with that line, and if it wasn't for a rigged voting system that just wanted to give Sidney Crosby a Conn Smythe trophy, he would have won it the first year they won the Cup in 2017. 2016, sorry. He would have won it in 2016, but they had to give it to Crosby because that's what people did. He knows how to fit into a role. Vegas has superstar players. They got Jack Eichel. They got really great guys like uh, like Shea Theodore, like Alex Petrangelo. 
they have a nucleus of a team that can be extremely competitive. They're waiting on a goaltender. Maybe that chip will fall before the season starts. But Phil Kessel will jump onto a third line. He'll play every night. And he'll get you 45 to 50 points. He's only 34 years old. He's played over 1,200 games in the NHL. He has ample experience. And whether you like it or not, Phil Kessel is a champion. He left Toronto and he won two cups. And he earned those two cups because he was the leading scorer on the first one. In the first cup run, he led the team in points in that cup run. He knows what it takes to win. The guy... He was playing in Arizona. He had a baby last, but you're playing in Arizona. It's like your career is just going away. So it, it's absolutely a good signing to me for Vegas. It adds another veteran to the mix. They're an older team. They are, but he knows how to, he, he's going to want to win. He goes to a team that's much more competitive than they were in Arizona. They have high expectations. And I think he's a guy that doesn't need to be told what his role is. Play the third line, get some points, and I think he'll could play second power play unit. He still has that available in his game. I like the signing for Vegas. It's a million and a half bucks. It's it's no money, so it, it's very low risk. So I very good signing by Vegas, and I think Phil Kessel, who waited most of the summer to get a deal, I think this is a good deal for him. He's coming off an eight-year, sixty-four million dollar deal that he signed with Toronto. He's not going to get even close to that money, but for him. He gets to go to a nice climate. He gets to go play for Vegas, who has a good chance of competing in the Pacific Division. And he gets to likely accomplish a goal this year. He's seven games away from breaking Keith Yandel's Ironman record for most games consecutively played. Not to mention, in mid-November, if he plays every game to start the year, I think it's 17 games, he will play 1,000 straight games to be the first player in the history of the league to do it. Now, the Iron Man streak to me is completely irrelevant. I mean, you deserve some credit for it, but at the same time, it's about longevity and it's about doing all that you can not to get injured, not going into corners, not blocking shots, not using maximum effort, maybe eating more hot dogs than you should in the, in the offseason. Keith Yandel, big reason why he was bought out twice in his career was because his defensive play was horrible. Well, Phil Kessel's not Charlie Hustle. He's not a guy that's going to give it all in the back check, but he gets to accomplish that goal as well. If he plays the first seven games of the year, he'll break it against his former team in the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, special year for Kessel. He gets a deal, and for Vegas, they, they get a player that they don't need to babysit. They don't need to, to coddle. And for Bruce Cassidy... I think Bruce, I think Bruce Cassidy and Phil... I don't know how well they're going to get along because Bruce expects a lot from his players. He was hard on Jake DeBrusque, big reason why he got fired, I believe. Jake DeBrusque is now staying in Boston. You see his trade request is rescinded the second Bruce Cassidy is hasta luego. So that is that is where I, I, I see it. Is I, I think there will be a power struggle there. But it, for me, if you're a coach, you have a 34-year-old, you got to – to me, I wouldn't even bother talking to Phil Kessel on the bench if I was a coach because you know what he's going to do. He's not going to give more effort than what he's given so far in his career. He's 30 fucking four. So just deal with it. Just accept that he is what he is and move forward. I think that's the best way to approach Phil Kessel at this point of his career. 
And now I see we got some some news here. Uh, Mike Babcock, former Detroit Red Wing and uh, Toronto Maple Leaf coach, I know all your favorite coach. He's resigned as coach of the University of Saskatchewan men's hockey team after just one season at the helm. Saskatchewan Huskies announced Thursday that Brandon Cote, who served as an associate coach under Babcock last year, has been named team's new interim head coach. Interesting. I'm ex- Babcock said in a statement, I'm excited for Brandon and his family. He's prepared to be a highly successful coach, said Babcock, who coached Cote with the Western Hockey League Spokane Chiefs. I believe he will evaluate the Huskies' play and profile even further. I look forward to seeing him continue down the path of what promised to be an incredible career. Babcock led the Huskies to an overall record of 14-9 and last season. Well, I don't really know what this me- Thinking about this on the fly, I don't think it means much. I don't think Mike Babcock will ever coach in the NHL again. To me, he, he's just got such a negative thing about him right now. I Maybe he's just resigning because he doesn't want to be coaching university anymore, which I completely understand. He doesn't need to. He's got the money. I think he took the job initially because he because he thought it might help him parlay it into NHL or just a, an opportunity to coach elsewhere. It didn't this this offseason. You saw so many retread guys get jobs. Mike Babcock reportedly did not get an interview. So I think he's done. I, I think Mike Babcock is, is done when it comes to when it comes to him being a coach. I really wouldn't be surprised if, if we don't see him again. We never saw Mike Keenan coaching the NHL again. He had some negative things about him. He had to coach in the KHL. I don't think Babcock's going to do that. Maybe he'll coach uh, in, in Europe. But to me, this is just this is the end of the line for a coach that has had a very successful career. He won a Stanley Cup. He won two Olympic gold medals coaching Canada. So you can see you know, people don't like him. Mike Commodore, Jeff O'Neill, just to name a few. I'm sure a lot of the Leaf guys, Austin Matthews, I don't think was a huge fan of him. He's not my favorite. He's a boring interview, so I'm glad he's out of the league because he's very just dry. And he doesn't bring much to the table. So I'm happy he's gone in that way. But I think you also got to appreciate what he did. He was a, he's a guy that couldn't adapt. He, I talked about Lula Amorella yesterday. You got to approach athletes different than you did before. They're not pieces of meat. They're not human garbage. And I think too many of these old school guys approach them that way. And I think Babcock didn't learn that he had to pivot, that he had to do something different than he's done for multiple years to get the attention of his players and to keep it. So I, I don't think I don't think he did that effectively enough. And now he's out of the league. So, you know, a, if this is the end of the line, which I think it will be, he had a, good, a great run, a lot of great accomplishments, and he can be really proud. And who knows, he may even get into the Hockey Hall of Fame one day. You win a Stanley Cup. You had over a decade run with Detroit. You win two Olympic gold medals. That's that's quite a resume. That is. That, that's a lot to, to put on the table of what you've done in your career. So we'll wait and see what happens with, with uh, Mike Babcock, but that's just the news of today. I'll share it with you as I get it. He has resigned as the head coach of, of Saskatchewan in the CIS. I mentioned the U.S. Open starts next week. The draw was unveiled today. Uh, Serena Williams will play the number, 80th, uh, number 80th ranked woman in the world in her first round match next week. I expect that to be a night match on Arthur Ashe Stadium. That's not yet decided, but I don't think that's really much of a decision. The big news of the day is that it's official. 
New York is not making new rule changes yet. By 2023, if you are unvaccinated, you can, I believe you can participate in sporting events. You can go in the booth. For instance, Paul O'Neill, as I mentioned earlier, he calls games for the Yes Network, the Yankees Network, and he will be back in the booth next season. He's not available in the booth for 2022. Well, Novak Djokovic, the world number one, will not be competing at the U.S. Open. He won, at, he won the Wimbledon title for an eighth time. He is one of the greatest players of all time, but he can't compete in Australia next year because he was deported from the country, and he won't be competing at the U.S. Open this year. And I, I honestly, I don't feel bad for the guy. He's a smug, smug son of a bitch. And you know what? These are the rules. I mean, that, that's just the rules. I mean, you can't... I I wish I felt bad for him. It would be nice to see him play. Uh, Alexander Zverev is not competing at the U.S. Open following ankle surgery. Novak Djokovic won't be there. It, it sounds like Rafael Nadal is going to be playing at the U.S. Open. This helps his chances of winning another major. So, I mean, it, it's uh, he's fun to watch. He's one of the best players of all time. But I, the rules are the rules. Do I think he should be able to play? Sure. Yeah. I mean, COVID's done. I mentioned that off the top. But those are the rules, and that's just the way it goes. For every for everybody, I think, that were is upset about this now but got vaccinated and did all this, I think you're a hypocrite because you 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 did you got you got safe for the time being, and now, well, it's over because the person you like can't do what you want them to do. So he's gone. See you later. It creates an opportunity for other players to have a moment. Can Medvedev win in at the U.S. Open? He won last year, tried to defend his title against Nadal and Co. this year with you know a, a number of great players. We'll see if any of the Canadian men can have a decent showing at a Grand Slam because they haven't in the last couple. So we'll we'll see what happens. See what happens with the U.S. Open that kicks off next Monday in Flushing Meadows. PGA Tour been in the news this week because they've been battling with the Live Tour over what to do. The Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods are partnering on this venture to really to to create a new league, to not create a new league, but a new opportunity for tournaments every year for the best players in the world. Sounds a lot like the Live, but they're basically doing their own thing, separate from Saudi Arabia. And Tiger Woods is right in the middle of it, and yet he won't be playing on this tour because he's not physically strong enough to do it. So, but that brings us to the end of the 2022 PGA Tour season, and it wraps up this weekend at East Lake in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, something the Live Tour could say to the PGA Tour this week is, wow, your year-end tournament sucks. And they'd be absolutely accurate in saying that because the year-end wrap-up, if you will, of the PGA season is an eyesore of eyesores to me. So the the, P, the Tour Championship at East Lake has the top 30 players from the season. I'm cool with that. I like earning your way into it. I'm all for that. The last two weeks, you go from 120 to 70 to 30. And you see guys like KH Lee, you see guys like Corey Connors battle to get into this tournament. And that's awesome. You get to keep your tour card. You get to play. If, you, if you're one of the top 30 
players here. You get to compete in three of the four majors next year, guaranteed. It's a really great setup. Not to mention Corey Connors with the way he played. He is going to be part of the President's Cup next uh, next uh, in September for the non-USA players. So he's going to be the world against the Americans. He's going to be playing at this event. A big deal for Corey Connors. The only problem with it is that Scotty Scheffler is ranked number one. He had a great season. He won the Masters. He won five other PGA Tour events. Well, to start this week, he's at minus 10. That's right. He already has 10 strokes. The KH Lee, who finished 28th, my guy, KH Lee, is at one under. So you start the tournament. You both got to play 18, uh, four rounds, 18 holes. But one guy is at 10 under par to start a tournament. One guy who's 28th is starting at minus one. So that means the guy in 28th has to make up nine strokes to start the week. This is a stupid system. You play all year. Why not just keep it the same? Why not just have your final tournament, the top 30 guys, and you're battling out to win? Okay, yeah, you might be at number one at some point, but it's one to 30. You're all the same. You're all playing in the same event. Have the tournament, the winner of this tournament, the winner of the, of the tour championship, so to speak, because you can play the best round and still not win, who has the most strokes at the end of this tournament will win $15 million. Fifteen million bucks is what's at stake this weekend. Everybody should start at even par. It's stupid that everybody is not at even par. I'll never change my stance on this. This should everybody should be at even par and you play a tournament. What drama? You're competing for fifteen million dollars cash. Will we see somebody completely erode on a Sunday? We don't have that option now because people are out of this tournament before it even starts. Let's start with this. Corey Connors is plus three on the day. He's done. Scotty Scheffler, who started at 10 under, is three under through six. He's at minus 13. Corey Connors plus three. Done. He's over. Sahit Tagala, plus one. Done. KH Lee's even par. He's done. Billy Horschel's out. Coney Finau, 11 strokes back. He's done. Minus two. Zeki Matsuyama, done. Homa, Spieth, done. Tiny Brian Harmon, done. Adam Scott, done. Scott Stallings, Cam Young. Need I say more? Let me just put it this way. There are two golfers that are within five strokes of Scotty Scheffler as we currently stand. Two. Sander Shoffley, who's at eight under, and Patrick Cantlay, who's at eight under as well. The next closest is Matt Fitzpatrick, minus six, and Sun J.M., my boy. J.T. Poston, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, who won a major this year, Cam Smith, who won a major this year, are all at five under. They are eight strokes back on the first day. This is a stupid, stupid system, and it gives the live tour and what they're saying validity when your product is shit. I'm going to watch this. I'm going to go home and watch tonight. But it's less dramatic because so many guys are out of it. Yes, you're playing for money. You can say, okay, great. But Rory McIlroy's at minus four. He's nine strokes off the lead. He had a great season. He should not be nine strokes off the lead at this point of a tournament. 
He just shouldn't be. After the season he had, everybody should just be at even par to start the tournament. Because, let me put it, let me put it this way. JT Poston, through 15 days, minus 5, he'd be in first place. He'd be in first damn place today. Aaron Wise, who started the day at even par, like JT Poston, because they were 29th and 30th, shot minus 5 today. They'd be tied for first. Scotty Scheffler, Cameron Young, Tom Hoagie, Colin Morikawa, and Matthew Keep the Pin in Fitzpatrick would be tied for second. Because they shot minus three. But no. Let's do it this way. Aaron Wise, who I just said, shot minus five. And JT Poston, who had the best rounds of the day, are tied for seventh. Tied for seventh, and they are eight strokes off the lead, and they are off the course. That doesn't seem right, does it? It doesn't seem smart, does it? No, because it isn't. It's a stupid, stupid system. I can't fix everything in life. Jay Monahan, I want to support the BJ Tour, the Live Tour. I'd support the Live Tour if they had a better product, if they had a better system, if they didn't do a shotgun start. All that. I'm not against the Live Tour. It's just a shitty product. I've said that again and again. Something that is interesting today, just the way it's set up and where you finish. Cameron Smith and Rory McIlroy are playing with each other today. That's interesting to me. Cameron Smith, who's likely going to the Live Tour after this tournament, playing next weekend at the Live event in Boston. Rory McIlroy, who's team PGA all the way. Cam Smith got the cold shoulder from Scotty Scheffler last week. I have no problem with that. If I'm Cameron Smith and if I'm every play, if I'm the other 29 guys in this tournament, I am not cool with Cameron Smith playing in this event, and here's why. You are taking money from your fellow golfers. You know damn well you're leaving to go play in the Live Tour and making a sizable check next week. Well, you're take you you're saying you want to make more money, you're leaving to make more money. Go make more money. Don't play on my tour where I want to make a living, where I could have somebody could have got their tour card for next year and guaranteed themselves to play three in the four three of the four majors. You took that away from somebody. Tom Kim could have had that. Tom Kim could have been in that position to do it after his great run over the last month. He wasn't because you're selfish. You're all about the money and yet but you don't care. I would be giving them the cold shoulder. I'd be treating them like shit. I wouldn't be helping them. I'd give them a quick little handshake and say, get the fuck out of here. Because you complain that you don't make enough money. You complain about your situation. Well, why are you still on our tour then if it's so shitty? Cameron Smith, any player that's going to leave, I would not be nice to them. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't got to be a dick, but you can. I think it's fitting that Roy McIlroy and Cameron Smith are playing together because they're in such opposition from one another when it comes to what they believe in and what and what they're what they're planning to do moving forward. The live isn't going away. Cameron Smith, who's the world number one right now, is leaving. The other people are going to follow him. I guess Hideki Matsuyama is not going to leave because 
PGA Tour wants him. I know the Live Tour wants him badly because they're going to get all of Japan's viewership if they bring him over. It's a smart move. They're offering him a large, large sum of money. I'm interested to see if he does leave. He's another guy that's at this tournament. I really hope he isn't because that's a, another scumbag move from Hideki Matsuyama. I just don't like complaining about not making enough money and then staying on staying somewhere where you're not making enough money and taking the money that is not enough from the players that aren't making as much money as you. Stealing from the rich to pay the richer. Is that what Robin Hood's message was to everybody? I'm going to go rob the rich people so I can, I can rob the millionaires so I can feed the billionaires. Not only NFL owners did that. Or the NCAA. Anyway, NFC North tomorrow because we have so much stuff today. So much interesting discussions today. So many interesting stories. Forey Rap, Nathan Rourke, BC Lions quarterback, Liz Frank surgery. Ugh. I don't talk about the CFL all the time on the podcast. So I'll, I'll, however, I watch every game. I do. I tape them. I might not watch them live, but I watch four games of CFL every week because I love the sport. Nathan Rourke was a fantastic prospect, a Canadian quarterback in the CFL, which is so, so rare. He's been electric and so fun to watch. He's done for the year. Might be his last game in the CFL because I think he's going to the NFL next year. His brother's playing at the Miami of Ohio, though, so we'll be able to watch him this year. So there's that. Bolivai Mitchell, a great Calgary Stampeder quarterback is benched this week for Jake Meyer, the second year. He's playing to, he's starting a quarterback tonight against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who had a bye week last week. They lost their first game of the season to the, uh, the Montreal Alouettes, who've won back-to-back -back weeks in dramatic fashion. Trevor Harris balling out. See if the Blue Bombers can res respond. The Stampeders are 0-2 against the Bombers this year with Bolivai Mitchell at quarterback. But you got Lions, Saskatchewan this week. Cody Vajardo will get the start after being benched last week. O'Connor will get his first start for the Lions. You got Stamps versus Bombers tonight. You got an Elks with uh, Nick Arbuckle getting his first start of the season Saturday night. So Nick Arbuckle, who was formerly with the with the Rough Riders, formerly uh, sorry, formerly with the with the Stampeders formerly with the Argonauts. He's now with the with the Red Blacks. He'll get his first start there. The Elks with Taylor Cornelius got the win last week. So a lot of turnover at quarterback in the CFL, but some really interesting players still. Uh, you got Tiger Cats, Argonauts with Dane Evans back at quarterback for the, for the, uh, for the Tabbies after he's out a couple weeks. So Labor Day's next weekend. Great weekend in the CFL. You got the Banjo Bowl there and, and all the great things that happen. But as I mentioned, you just it, it's a it's an interesting time for sports, but you're also counting down to get to that those interesting parts of the season where a lot of a lot of interesting things happen. NFL's back, college football. We'll talk so I'll talk some about some betting angles tomorrow with college football for week zero, some betting lines, things of that nature, over unders. But primarily tomorrow, we will get into the NFC West, sorry, the AFC North, and we'll do another one of those divisional previews this weekend as well. Great show today, everybody. Have a great rest of your Thursday. As always, this is to the point.